Karen, um, thank you very much. I was about to thank the worship team because it's a force of habit, but they're, they're not here. Um, but thank you to them for all that they do all the time anyway. Uh, this, uh, this morning we're going to continue on in a series that we started uh, together last week, looking at the unshakable truths of the Word of God and how we can build an unshakable life to become the unshakable people of the unshakable God. Uh, Last week we looked at this idea of the unshakable life and how an unshakable life can be built upon the foundation of the unshakable rock, Jesus Christ, and upon his word. We looked at a scripture from Luke chapter 6, a well-known portion of scripture, a parable that Jesus told, um, where he told of two men who built a house. One built their house upon the rock and the other built their house on the sandy land. And again, I I learned this week in the midweek that I totally picked the wrong song around about this. I I missed out the wise man built his house upon the rock. You know that one better than the one I sang last week, don't you? Yeah? And that was the crux of the whole of Scripture um, and the whole of our sermon last week, that the unshakable life can be built upon the unshakable rock. And we're all building our lives upon something. Um, And we can choose whether or not that is Jesus. And when it is Jesus, we, we start that journey in becoming the unshakable people of God with his help by his spirit. This week we're going to look at, and it's above us there on the screen, the unshakable story. The unshakable story. Everybody loves a good story, don't they? Lila certainly does. I haven't seen that smile in a wee while. She was like, I love a good story. Chloe loves rom-coms. And I find that once uh, once we got married, I've had to watch a few more rom-coms. And actually, I quite like rom-coms now. Right? I know. Oh, isn't that right, dear? Right? And I cry at the littlest things. These beautiful, beautiful stories. But we love stories, don't we? And uh, Hollywood has really exploited our love for stories and the producing of movie upon movie upon movie. Uh, what's your favourite movie? Back to the Future. Back to the Future. That's a good one. Absolutely. Definitely number one though, right? Yeah, The Goonies. All right. Any, any, anything, uh, anything else? The good, good fellas. That's, that's quite different. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a good movie. I, IMDb's greatest movie of all time, number one, is Goodfellas. So good choice of movies, apparently. Fantastic. Anybody else? The Green Mile and Dirty Dancing. Again, two very different movies. <laughs> Absolutely. But we love a good story, don't we? And actually, the crux of all of those stories, and I think even to an extent, Goodfellas is this, that good prevails over evil. We love when good prevails over evil. We love when the guy gets the girl. We love, we love a happy ending. And I want to tell you this morning, I'm going to ruin the whole sermon. As I did at the start last week, the end of this is that good prevails. That God still reigns. And God reigns forevermore. And actually, the end of our story is that we will be with him forever. As the unshakable people of God who have placed their trust in him, the end of our story is that we will be with him forever. 
But we love a good story. And the scripture was once described as God's great love letter to mankind. Where if we read scripture, and at night time I really encourage you to come along at night. We're working through the books of the Old Testament together. We started last week in Genesis. We obviously then on Exodus this week. But if you take it from Genesis all the way through to Revelation at the end of the New Testament, Scripture tells of God's love story toward humanity. It tells of God's love for us. And I wonder this morning, do you know that you're loved? Do you know that he cares for you? Do you know that you are, as the psalmist says, the apple of his eye? Maybe we need to know that. But so much more than a love letter, the word of God is given to us for direction. It's given to inspire us. It's given to rebuke us when we need to be rebuked. It's given to encourage us whenever we need to be encouraged. It's given to teach us and to teach us the way of righteousness, the way of God, the way of right standing with God. And it points to Jesus. And I've got some quotes from different people about how they would describe the scripture, the unshakable story of God. Charles Spurgeon, who was um, a great preacher and had an impressive beard, um, one not quite as impressive as mine, of course, but he had an impressive beard, but he was a great theologian, a great studier of the word of God. And he says this, he says, nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. In other words, the more we think we understand it, the more we realize that there's more to understand. Nobody ever outgrows the scripture. John Calvin said this, another theologian of old, he said, scripture is like a pair of spectacles which dispels the darkness and gives us a clear view of God. I don't have to wear spectacles. I'm very fortunate. Last time I went to the opticians, they told me I had 20-20 vision and I'm never going back. Because, <laughs> right? But scripture... It's like a pair of spectacles that we all need to put on, which dispels the darkness and gives us a clear view of God. The world tries to tell us that God is one thing. The scripture shows us that he is love. The scripture shows us that he is for us. Billy Graham, great preacher and missionary of old, says, he says this, and it's probably my favorite of all of them that I'm going to show you this morning. It says, the Bible is not an option. It is a necessity. You cannot grow spiritually strong without it. There's another great quote, and I can't, uh, I can't source who said it, otherwise I'd have put it up on the screen, but it went something like this. It says, don't say that God's not speaking when your Bible's closed. Don't say God's not speaking Whenever your Bible's closed. And for the Christian, for the people of God, those of us who have asked the Lord Jesus to come and take over our lives, the Bible's not an option. It's a necessity. It's something that we need to grow spiritually and to become more and more 
like him. And lastly, I'm going to go with a US president, and you'll be glad to know it's not Donald Trump. An old US president, Ronald Reagan, said, Within the covers of the Bible are the answers for all the problems men and women face. You got a problem? You got an issue? Pick up the scripture. Say, God, speak to me. God, show me something from your word today. Because Ronald Reagan is right. Within the covers of the Bible are the answers for all the problems that men face. And this morning, as we look again at this unshakable life and at the unshakable story, we need to realize that the unshakable life knows its place in the story of God. And this morning we're going to look at this story of God that is revealed through the scriptures. And it starts with this. It starts with creation. Last week we we touched on this last Sunday night. um, So we're not going to go too far into it this morning. But the first five words of scripture. In the beginning God created. In the beginning God created created. Scripture is so important. And those first five words of scripture are very important to our understanding of the scriptures. Because right from the outset, God is revealed as creator. The creator God. You're not here by accident this morning. You're not here by a fluke of nature or a freak of nature. You're here because you are intimately and intrinsically designed knit together in your mother's womb by the almighty God the creator of the cosmos the creator of the universe and the creator of each and every one of us and you know the story creation by day six was very good God looked at all that he had made he looked at the, the sky. He looked at the seas. He looked at the animals. He looked at the birds. He looked at the, the wildlife. He looked at all of the different ecosystems, the trees, the bushes. He looked at all of these things that he had made and he says they're good. Then on the sixth day, he created man and said it's very good. And creation was perfect. Everything was as it was meant to be. Everything as it was meant to be. And Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 to 17 say this. It says, for by him, and he's talking about Jesus Christ here, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, and he's saying, for by him all things were made in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. God's good, pleasing, perfect creation. Everything as it was meant to be. And in the twilight hours of the day, that time where the sun begins to set on a new uh, on the old day god would come and he would walk 
with man in the garden. Everything as it was supposed to be. Then comes the fall. From creation comes the fall. And we're just going to read together from Genesis chapter 3. Up here on the screen behind me. As we look at the fall, as we consider how we fell from this perfect creation. Things just the way they're supposed to be. We go to Genesis chapter 3. And it says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, it's very interesting here and something that we didn't look at whenever we considered creation was this. That God gave man dominion over everything in the garden. But there was one tree bang in the center of the garden that he says, don't touch that. Don't touch that. So God gives them everything they could ever have dreamt or wanted. And there's one tree and he says, but don't touch that. He's given them everything. And he says, don't touch that. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows That when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. For when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruits and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin cloths. Man rebelled against God. Women gets a really hard run in this here, don't they? Oh, was that pesky woman? Where was the man? The man was right beside her. The man didn't stop her. The man joined in. It's not the woman's fault on her own. Man made the decision together that they would disobey God. And so they did. And the consequences of this are still felt today. Uh, We recently started podcasting our our sermons. And I would encourage you to go and listen to Genesis, uh, the one from last week, when we go into this in, in more detail about the effect that it had upon mankind and the plan that God instituted right at that moment where he prophesied over the serpent of somebody who would crush his head, somebody who would come later, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who would come and would defeat sin and death but go and check that out on the podcast it's on itunes spotify and all other podcast providers as well but here man openly 
makes a decision to rebel against God. And the consequences are still felt to this day. This was the moment. This was the moment that the loving God who gave a choice was betrayed. And as a consequence of that, sin entered into the world. Something that we still feel and see the effects of every day. Both personally, in our own lives, the pull of sin and temptation, but also around about our everyday, where we see injustice and oppression at work, where we see drugs fill our streets, where we see alcohol ruin our homes, where we see the effects of sin with our very own eyes in this world. God's creation was perfect, but man chose another way. Romans 5 and verse 18 says this. It's the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome, and he says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. In other words, this is what it's saying. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. Man messed up. Man messed up, but in his goodness and in his grace, God makes a way. From the creation to the fall, we now move to redemption. We don't have to stay in the fall. And I love that. I love that we have a cross here. And we're going to celebrate communion a little later on as part of our service. But why do we celebrate communion? Well, one, Jesus instituted it. But Jesus instituted it because he knew that he would go to a cross. And upon him, the result of the fall, all the sin of mankind, past, present and future, would be thrust upon him. And he would willingly take it. And he would willingly lay down his life so that we could know redemption. So that we could know the salvation of sins. So that we could have relationship with God. That was Jesus' raison d'etre here on earth. It was the very reason that he came. This is foundational stuff this morning. But it's important that we are reminded time and time and time again of the extremes and the lengths and the breadth and the width. That's not a word, the width. Yeah. Width. Ah, there, there we go, right? But it's important that we are reminded the extent that Jesus Christ went to to take away the sins of the world, to bring about redemption of the world, all who would accept his free gift of salvation, but more personally, you, me.
It's a personal redemption. We sang a, we, we didn't sing it this morning, but we often sing a hymn, don't we? Oh, perfect redemption, the purchase of blood to every believer, the promise of God, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. It's a personal redemption for us. And Romans eight, uh, Romans five, sorry, verses eight to eleven, they say this, and it's above me there. It says, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Whilst we were at our worst, Whilst we were at our most unlovely, Christ died for us. And because of that, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far off you may be or someone you love may be at this moment in time. There is always a way back to God. Through the blood of Jesus Christ laid down for us. That whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And because Christ laid down his life for us, we have the great hope that there's nothing other than accepting his love. There is nothing we can do. To earn it. He just offers it. There's no amount of charity work. There's no amount of good deeds. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of doing well and doing right by people. That can earn us the love of God. Because he already gives us it. The only way that we can get it. Is by accepting it. In a personal way. This coming uh, Saturday morning. I'm going to be sharing my story. uh, My testimony of God's saving grace in my life. At the Elam Church at their men's breakfast. Any men that want to come from here. Are very welcome to join. um, As well. Half nine to eleven o'clock. But I will tell that day. Of the day that I personally accepted. Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour. Of the day that the Spirit revealed to me that I couldn't live off somebody else's relationship with Jesus. But that I needed a personal one myself. About how that relationship is not restrictive. It's not a straitjacket that says don't do this and don't do that. But actually is the most freeing decision that I've ever made. Because the... Scripture says, Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10, I have come that you may have a life 
and life in all its fullness. He holds nothing back from us. And if we accept him and become part of the unshakable people of God, he will hold nothing back from us. He will lavish us time and time and time again with his blessing, with his goodness, with his grace. All we need to do is accept that free gift. Ephesians chapter 2. Again, the Apostle Paul liked to write about the goodness of God. And he's writing to the church in Ephesus here. And he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good works won't get you into heaven. A relationship with Jesus will get you into heaven. But when we have a relationship with Jesus, the scripture tells us that he has prepared good works for us to do in his name. So stop trying to buy your way in. Stop trying to work your way in. Surrender to him wholeheartedly. And then serve him in all that you do. Oh, perfect redemption. Creation. Then the fall. Then God's redemptive plan. And then the restoration of all things. We find ourselves as the people of God, if you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior today, you find yourself in this weird in-between place. Because you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, but you await the full restoration. But in some ways as well, not to complicate things, the scripture says that you've been restored Because the old nature has gone and the new has come. You're a new creation in Christ. And we find ourselves in this weird in-between place of already but not yet. We have already been restored and made made new in Christ Jesus. But there will come a time where we will be completely made new in the heavenly places. When all things are are restored this is my favorite portion of scripture to read at a funeral funerals of people who know god are so much easier than funerals of those who don't know god because those who know god have a sure hope they have a promise they live in a reality that this life in layman's terms is a rehearsal the opening act. Life does not end here. But when we know Jesus Christ, this is the promise that we have. Revelation, the last book of the Bible. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city 
the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. We have a hope. As the people of God, we have a promise as the people of God of a new heaven and a new earth where Christ will dwell with us, where we will worship him for all of eternity. And as God came in the form of Jesus Christ, God incarnate, the son of God came and laid down his life and bought our redemption paid our debt, a debt we could not pay ourselves, so he will come again for his church. For some reason, across the world, one of the least preached areas or themes of scripture right now in the 21st century is the second coming of Christ. But we need to know this. Christ lived. He died. He rose again. He ascended to the right hand of God the Father where he is seated. Not standing as we sung earlier. But he is seated because his work is finished. The right hand of God the Father praying for us. Interceding for you and for me. Awaiting the day. When God the Father turns to him and says, go get them. Because he will, as sure as he came, he will come again. This is the hope that we have. This is the promise that we cling to. That Christ will come again. And he will bring about the restoration of all things. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. Death shall be no more. There won't be any mourning. There'll be no more crying and there'll be no more pain. (coughs) Why? Because the former things, the effect of the fall, the effects of the fall shall pass away and everything will be as it was in the garden. Perfect. Restoration will come. A new heaven. A new earth. And we don't have time this morning to go into this whole pre-millennial, a-millennial, post-millennial. All we need to know is this. Jesus is coming back. And we need to be a people who are found ready. How can we be found ready? Trust in him as the Lord and as the Saviour of our lives. Commit our lives to him. Commit all things to him. 
The Apostle Paul, again, in one of his letters, wrote about doing all things for the glory of God. That's anything from leading a business meeting to scrubbing the toilets, from doing the dishes to changing the nappies. Do all things to the glory of God. Because there is coming a time, church, when he will restore all things. And the unshakable life. If we are to be the unshakable people of God, we must know our place in the story of God. The story of God from creation to restoration. We are a restoration people. A restoration awaiting people who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Yes, we feel the effects of the fall in our everyday lives. Both by the pull and temptation of sin. But also as we look around about us. But we can also have that communion with God. Relationship with him. We can be vulnerable with him. The scriptures say that he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That he is the great I am. That he is a confidant. And he gives us the gift of his spirit to guide us. Don't shy away from intimacy with your God. And relationship with him. For the unshakable life knows its place in the story of God. Will we pray together? Let's pray.